God is not a monster. He's not even close to it. He wasn't doing it for enjoyment. He was doing it because he was mad and he was hurt. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast. I'm Melissa, and here with me as always is Mandy. Mandy, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Doing good. So tonight we have the case of all cases for you guys. We are moving out of Florida, and we are going to be moving to South Carolina in this case. This is the case of Todd Kolhep, and uh, this actually came to light a few months ago. Um, But Mandy is going to start us a little on the background of Little Toddy Boy. Little Toddy Boy. That's (laughs) such a nice name for him. Uh, Yes, Todd Kolhep. Uh, He is an American serial killer. Uh, Just to kind of give you guys a quick rundown, he was convicted of murdering seven people in South Carolina between 2003 and 2016. You would think we could end the podcast there. But trust me, it gets a lot crazier. There's more. There's way more. Uh, So he was born on March 7th, 1971. uh, But he was actually born in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So while Melissa did say that we're moving out of Florida... We still have one coming straight out of Florida. I just Florida. want to get out of Florida. We're, we're looking really, <laughs> we're looking worse to people. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, little toddy boy, as we said before, <laughs> uh, his parents divorced when he was only two years old. Um, his mother got full custody, and she ended up actually remarrying another man um, fo- the following year. So, um, there were later psychological reports that said that Cole Hep had kind of an unhealthy relationship with his parents, especially his stepfather, um, who did actually adopt him and change his mm-hmm. name. Uh, his mother's last name is Tag, T-A-G-U-E. Yeah. I think I'm saying that right. I always feel bad if I butcher someone's name. Um, but that was his born with name, and he did get it changed to Cole Hep after his stepfather legally adopted him. Um So they had kind of an unhealthy relationship, and Todd expressed on many occasions that he really would like to go live with his biological father, which of course was just kind of one of those pie-in-the-sky ideas, I guess, because he hadn't seen his father in eight years, didn't even know anything about him. I guess it was just one of those, you know, I don't like it here, so I want to go there kind of things. But when she wouldn't let him go there, um, she had just bought him a brand new bedroom set. And he took a hammer and destroyed it when she told him he could not move in with his father. So as you can see, this is the beginnings of a real normal relationship. Right. He was, uh, by all accounts, (laughs) a very troubled child with a very explosive personality. Uh, He was known to be aggressive and destructive as early as preschool. And like if if the kids at preschool would upset him, he would just take their toys and smash them and break them. Right. And um, which... Mm, I would argue is completely normal for preschool behavior, <laughs> but he did also show other signs of aggression. Right. So it wasn't just that. So don't it's freak out just, if your if yeah. your child smashes other kids' toys. Don't freak out. They're probably not gonna be a serial killer. We're we're pretty we're feeling pretty good about that. So, uh, anywho, as I just said, he did begin to show other signs of aggression uh, and abuse towards animals, yeah. which. Anyone who follows anything crime knows that that's like sign number one. That's serial killer 101 right there. Right. So one of the things that he actually did um, was he killed the family's fish by dumping bleach into its fish bowl, I guess, um, and but, told his mother that he wanted a gerbil yeah. instead. And so <laughs> to be fair, he wanted a gerbil. <laughs> right. So what do you do when you want a different pet? You just murder. Well, the if last you're me, one. you just get a new pet. <laughs> My son actually refers to Mandy's house as the farm. <laughs> They're so littered with animals over there. So. Yeah, I have a lot of animals. I love them all. I call them all by name. <laughs> um, so anywho, Todd Colehep, young Todd Colehep, not only did he uh, bleach a fish to death, which that's psychopathic behavior. I, yeah. I can't even say anything else about that. Um, he also was caught shooting a dog with a BB gun and just, you know, Kind of putting on a lot of these different traits that you will see would end up turning out, you know, that he ended up was going to be a serial killer. But there was signs there. Um, He was also said to be very preoccupied with sexual content. Yeah. Uh, At 12 years old in 1983, he was actually sent to live with his biological father. His mom finally said, 
okay, Todd, if this is going to help you. I think mainly she was doing it to help herself to kind of get him out of, out of her hair for a while. I think she was having a hard time with him. So she did go ahead and send him. Um, but that relationship he had with his father after he moved, and this was to Arizona, he moved to Arizona. Um, that relationship was great at first, but then it quickly deteriorated. They, it was kind of, a rocky situation. The father had a lot of different girlfriends and was kind of in and out of the house all the time. Um, so eventually Todd requested to move back in with his mother, but it's reported that the mother didn't really want him back and kind of kept putting off having him come back and well, delayed his stay there with the dad. Do you blame her? I don't blame her at all. That's, I mean, as a mother, you're going to protect your child and you're going to take care of your child. But thinking as Todd's mother, I, I get if she said, let's give it another week and just needed Needed a little time to recover before bringing that back into your home. I I do understand that. Uh, you'll come to see from some of the things that we will share with you later that the mother may or may not have been completely stable. I'm trying to put that as nicely as possible. <laughs> That's probably as nicely as you can put it. And as you heard in the beginning of our episode, the little clip that we played for you, um, that's actually um, taken from her 48 hours interview. So that should talk to her state of mind and things going on. So hope you enjoyed that little tidbit. Right. So before we even get into the mother, I'm going to let Melissa tell you a little bit about Todd Kolhep's very first crime. So on November 25th, 1986, when Todd was 15, he went over to his neighbor's house, um, a 14-year-old, and told her her boyfriend was outside and needed to talk to her. So she comes out. She's actually watching her siblings at that point. He tapes her mouth shut, um, holds her at gunpoint, and walks her behind their homes, uh, behind her house, all the way down the road to his house. Very methodical, though. Very methodical. And he actually tried to shoot the gun off, but the bullet got jammed, thankfully. Um, so he gets her to his house, and he um, he rapes her and uh, brings her back home. And um, while he's on his way back, the younger siblings kind of freaked out because their sister was missing. They called the police, and the police arrive. And so when she walks back, he tells her, if you tell anybody, I'm going to go kill your siblings. So she walks in the door and she immediately sees the police officer and tells him everything that happened, which you go girl, because <laughs> you just were threatened and still had the presence of mind to tell the truth and tell everything that happened. So um, in 1987, he actually pled guilty to the kidnapping charge and then all the other charges were dropped. Ugh. Yeah. So one thing I found interesting was that whenever the officers went to his house to talk to him, first of all, he didn't answer the door at first. And then when he did, he had a rifle and was standing there just just ready to greet them. And he only asked them two questions. He said, what's going to happen to me and how many years am I going to get? So So, he knew. Yeah, he totally knew. Um, And wasn't even trying to hide it. No. And you'll kind of see that as a theme. It seems like if somebody asks him something, he's very quick to tell them, but nobody seems to ask him (laughs) um, during this whole process. Um, So whenever they asked why he assaulted her, he said it might have been an act of rebellion because his dad was out of town. So the next time your dad's out of town, just a note, don't go around assaulting your neighbors. It's (laughs) not good for anybody. Just eat some food, eat some chocolate, do what we do. If I'm sad, I'm just going to eat chocolate. Right. And honestly, having the home to myself. I mean, that sounds sounds great. Yeah. It sounds like (laughs) the best day ever. That might be insensitive though. Yeah. He was, he was 15. (laughs) Yeah. No. He was insensitive, so. That's true. Uh, so Kolhep was actually sentenced to 15 years in prison and had to register as a sex offender. So he served 14 of those years. And while he was in jail, um, I guess they put him through some tests, of course, probably to m- mainly see if he's, like, fit for trial or fit right. for whatever they need to do with him. Um, but he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And they also said that he had an above-average IQ, which I think is really common with serial killers. killers. Yeah. So that doesn't – you know, none of that really surprised me. They always say that they're very smart and charming. Um but the judge in the case actually did say that that Todd Colehab likely could not be rehabilitated. And um, I don't know if you wanted to add anything about that. 
So the judge in this case actually had a pretty interesting quote that I'm going to read. He said, 25 months of the most intensive and expensive professional intervention, short of God's, will provide no protection for the public and no rehabilitation of this juvenile by any services or facilities presently available to the juvenile court. So I'm thinking the judge <laughs> did not think he should ever really see the light of day, but his hands are kind of tied in how far, you know, he can be punished. Right. That sounds a lot like him saying that Todd Kolhap cannot be rehabilitated. Yeah. And he should have had to have that quote like on his tattooed on his forehead. Right. But like you just said, they are kind of bound by like laws and what like the statutes are right. for what the maximum the sentencing crime. they can give them. So especially throwing off the sexual assault charge right. just having the kidnapping one then that's a lesser sentence he can't do anything about that so life after prison for Colehap, like i said he did serve 14 years of that sentence um so in august 2001 he was released from prison and he moved to south carolina where his mother was living at the time and while he was in prison he, uh, he didn't do nothing he actually obtained a bachelor's degree in computer science right and when he got out he worked briefly as a graphic designer for a company in spartanburg um south carolina of course and he began studying in greenville technical college um he ended up transferring to the university of south carolina upstate the following year and he graduated in 2008 with another bachelor's degree bachelor of science uh, in business administration and marketing so um, Kolheb actually lied about his felony charge as a sex offender and was able to get his real estate license. How do you do that? I, I thought they know. background checked. What is that? I believe they do too. I don't know what the South Carolina laws are, but I know here in Florida that they do. Um, but how scary is that him as a realtor? He's bringing these women in empty houses. You have to wonder, you know, if, if anything ever happened that we just don't know about, which is really unfortunate. Um, but he also built a firm that had a dozen agents employed under it and was recognized as a top-selling agent in the South Carolina region. So he was actually doing really well for himself um, financially. Um, he had his private uh, private pilot's license and had lots of properties out of state. Um, in May of 2014, he purchased almost 100 acres in, um, in an area called Moore and um, put a fence around the property. And this property is where everything is about to go down. Right. And I read that the fence that he put on the property was like an $80,000 fence. Yeah. I think he paid a little over 300000 for the 100 acres, which is really good for that kind of property, but not when you find out what he was planning to do with it. Yeah. Well, and he actually had a house he was living in separate from the property, and this property, it seemed like he had other plans for it. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery Delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. 
Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. So being a real estate agent, he, of course, had a lot of interactions with different types of people. And a banker who worked with him said that he often watched pornographic videos even at work. So we're talking about like a real, like, that's not cool. Okay. (laughs) You know, like, there's really not even much to say about that. It just... It is what it is. Um, I think he kind of thought he could get away with anything anywhere. Obviously, nobody's reporting this to anybody, but he just, I think, felt entitled. Right. Um, And I didn't see anything that said he was, like, diagnosed with narcissism, but everything we know about him, he kind of seems like he's a narcissist. I feel like I saw people use that word a lot in the stuff we researched, but I don't know (laughs) if he was formally diagnosed either. Just our opinion. Yeah. So uh, Todd actually frequented a waffle house in the area where he was living after he was released from prison, um, where he kind of had built his life in South Carolina. And at this waffle house, apparently his behavior was so disturbing that the waitresses knew him and kind of went running whenever he came in. And they had the male cook that worked there take the order for him. Like, you know, it's got to be bad. If every single waitress that works in a restaurant is like, no, I'm not going to take care of this guy. You know, they're going to send another male over there to take his order and cook his food and bring it to him. And so none of them want to interact with him at all. But what I don't what I don't get is if he's in real estate, he has to work with people and people choose to work with him. And if he's putting off these creepy vibes to women, I would think that that would be very obvious. You know, I would think he wouldn't be as successful as he was um, Right, and I should have done a little more research on borderline personality, but I think that's actually a thing, is that, like, (laughs) some people, and that actually was a thing in this case, um, there were certain people who knew Todd or had met him before that said that he was a very nice person, and that he was very personable, friendly, outgoing, and then, of course, you had you know, peppered in with those kinds of thoughts. You had people who said, no, he was a jerk. Like he wasn't very nice. He wasn't nice to work with, you know, I, whatever they did with him. But there was also the people who said negative things. So on August 31st, 2016, um, Kayla Brown and her boyfriend, Charles David Carver went missing after going to Todd Kolhep's property to do a cleaning. Now this was something that Kolhep frequently hired people to do, whether it was for his real estate business, he would hire different people to come clean houses that he was selling. And I guess he did, he was known to hire uh, people to come clean up his personal properties or whatever. So he called, uh, or I guess Kayla Brown responded to an ad. She actually had said that she never had really any communication with him outside of Facebook messaging. Um, 
but her and her boyfriend, Charlie, were going to go there to do some yard work. Well, they didn't know that at first. They just showed up to the property and Cole Hep drove them uh, into like the acreage that he had. I guess they met him at his home. Yeah, his home was and, a few miles away. Right. And so they thought, Kayla and Charlie thought they were going there to get a key to the property that they were going to be cleaning. Right. And Todd at this point said, no, actually, it's my personal property. I need to take you there. So I'm going to drive you in. So they did that. And um, this is kind of when the, I guess you would say fall of Todd Kolhep started. Right. Um, because this is kind of the part about the story that most people would remember from being on the news. Yeah. Um, the Kayla Brown story. So we kind of got a little bit of a double exciting, you know, thing going on with this episode. We have Todd Kolhep himself, and then we also get to talk about Kayla Brown, and I think her story is absolutely worth talking about. Absolutely. Because um, she did go through a lot in this case. Um let me back up a little bit more. Like I said, Cole Hep took them to the property, um, drove them into the gate, shut the gate behind them. Locked the gate. Locked the gate, yes. And I guess Kayla didn't think that was weird or maybe. Well, I watched on Dr. Phil, a clip on Dr. <laughs> Phil. You know, I did watch Dr. Phil this time yeah. too. And like I said, hey, I said it was touch and go. Sometimes yeah. I do like Dr. Phil episodes. I don't always use them. Well, she gave an exclusive interview to him, so we basically had to watch it. Right. But she said, Dr. Phil asked her at any point, did anything seem wrong? Like, did it, did any bells go off? And she said she wished whenever he locked the door that she would have, that that's the only thing that kind of seemed strange to her, but not even really like later she realized that was kind of strange, but not even in that moment. Right. So they get onto the property and there are, a few structures on the property. I think there was two structures. There was like a house and then there was a shed type thing. Right. And um, then she also said that when they first arrived, she saw the infamous shipping container that she would later be placed in and held hostage. Um, But she said that when they had first gotten there, Todd had said he needed to go back into the house and get something. Something. And then he was inside for a few minutes. And when he returned, uh, she says that her and her boyfriend, Charlie Carver, were outside. They were just holding hands. Um, and Cole had basically immediately flipped a weird switch and came out shooting and, um, you know, unfortunately shot Charlie and shot him dead right there in front of Kayla. And then pretty much, no, I know. I can't imagine. No, no I can't. I, it's too much for me. That's, I can't imagine watching that in front of you and you have to think, oh, I'm next. There's no other. (laughs) Right. And so she did say on the Dr. Phil interview that she was pretty much paralyzed with like shock and fear and all these things and, uh, you know, immediate grief that she's never going to see Charlie again. She said she was pretty sure that he was dead. Like he didn't move at all after this. And, um, it wasn't just one shot. Um, Kayla said that there was a, there was three shots in rapid succession and, uh, that Charlie did not move again after those shots. So she pretty much knew that he was dead. Um, and Todd at this point kind of put Kayla in a headlock and pretty much just dragged her into this shipping container and said, you know, if you try to hurt me, if you try to escape, if you do anything, you know, to foil my plans, basically you're going to be having the same fate as your boyfriend, Charlie. Right. So if you haven't seen the video, we're going to describe a little bit about the container that she was in, the storage container. It was actually a green container with kind of some brown on it, which I think was actually to help camouflage it out on his property. Um, But inside the container, Kayla had a um, two and a half foot chain on her neck and one on her ankle, and they were going to separate corners um, in the room she was in. So she's here. Right. So the the amount of area that she can actually move around is so small that you wouldn't even call it an You wouldn't move around. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to Um, go. She was found with... um, Pillows, blankets, water. There were a couple books, which whenever I saw the video, I said, oh, Mandy, she had books. That's weird that he gave her books. And then Mandy pointed out that it was dark in there. So she really couldn't read them anyway because there was no lights. Um, She actually said that when Todd came in to feed her, 
which was once, once a day, a day. Um, he would bring a flashlight. So I don't know why she had books in there. She clearly could not read them. Um, but yeah, the container was dark, but like Melissa said, it wasn't empty. It had dry food and rations and bottled water. Not that any of this makes it okay. No. <laughs> We're just letting you know that it wasn't like completely empty. Later, some <laughs> people in this case do think it's okay because he did give her pillows and blanket. What a gentleman What a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> All during this time, the families of Kayla and Charlie are searching for them. And, you know, they've been gone for a few weeks at this point and, um, Kayla's social media accounts show nothing. Charlie's, on the other hand, show like various life events that he got a job, that he and Kayla got married, that um, that they had moved, and so people, family members, and friends were writing and saying, "Charlie, you know, tell us you're okay. Tell us Kayla's okay. We haven't heard from you guys." And he would write things back like, "I'm okay," and that would be it. So um, the mother of Kayla actually said she responded one time saying, "Where are you guys?" And they said you know, whoever was in charge of this account at that time said, I'm fine. And the police told her to stop engaging. So I thought that was an interesting little piece of information. It is weird. And they did find out who was posting those eventually, didn't they? Um, a few months after this is all resolved, uh, Charlie Carver's actually his wife, his ex-wife, um, is arrested for impersonating a police officer trying to get access to Charlie's phone because many believe she was actually the one making these posts. She was trying to get Charlie's money moved into her account and kind of taking advantage of a really bad situation and, and pretending to be him. Hey guys, check out our friends over at truecrimeclothing.com. If you like true crime like us, which you do because you're here listening to us, then you'll love the apparel that they offer. Our favorite is a t-shirt that reads, The Husband Did It, because if you've ever watched Dateline, you know The Husband Always Did It. Again, that's truecrimeclothing.com. Check them out. So going back to Kayla's rescue, uh, just rewinding a teeny tiny bit from where we already were, um, for those who are wondering maybe how Kayla was found, she actually was found because the pings on... Her and Charlie's cell phones, um, they were able to find the location through that method. Um, and when they got there to investigate, they actually heard Kayla Brown knocking, or I guess more accurately banging, on yeah. the side of this shipping container, pretty much saying, like, here I am, come get me out, please. At this point, she's been there for two months. No words. Uh, been there for two months. And so they did find her. And they did rescue her, and pretty much the first words out of her mouth sound like something that she has recited for two times. months. Yeah. Exactly. So they find her, and like we said before, they found her with books, they found her with bottled water, they found her with dry rations, all kinds of stuff. But um, chains, definitely But chains. definitely chains around her neck, and she told the police that the chains were here, they're here, you know, told them how to get get, uh, get them off of her. And they did do a great job. They yeah. immediately had bolt cutters, and they cut her free immediately before really even asking a lot of questions. Um, so kudos to them for that. I'm so glad they freed her right away. Um, but then she did go on to kind of recite this dialogue that it seemed like she had probably recited in her head many times. Oh, yeah. They asked her, do you know where your buddy is? And she said, Charlie, he killed him. And then they said, who killed him? And she just went off on this whole thing. Todd Colehep killed Charlie Carver. He shot him three times in the chest. He, you know, I never saw a move after that. The, he told me that there are many bodies still on this property. Right. If you send canine dogs looking, it's going to mess up their senses because he sprinkled cayenne pepper around. And uh, Melissa and I actually had a little side discussion about this because she didn't uh, understand what Kayla had said at the last part, but I kind of explained to her that um, dogs have, of course, very sensitive senses. And if a dog sniffs hot pepper, like cayenne pepper, it can actually ruin their senses for life. So that is a thing that criminals try and do to cover up evidence. Uh, they will sprinkle hot pepper or cayenne around so that when the canines sniff it in, it renders their sense of smell useless. Yeah. And not just for that moment, but potentially forever. That's some planning, though. I mean... 
so much of this, he's this is all premeditated. He didn't just freak out and shoot him. He he was planning all of this. And it does go to show, like, yeah, premeditated. But it goes to show this is definitely something that he thought out. Right. He was methodical. And like we said earlier in the episode, um, pretty much all of his crimes, he was very methodical, very calm about very everything. Calm. He never showed any kind of emotion. He wasn't angry. Even Kayla Brown said that while he was dragging her to the storage container to, to chain her up, he was acting completely normal and sane and didn't have any, you know, he didn't act like a, what you would stereotypically think a crazy person would act like. Because he had it all set up. He was ready to go. That was, they were just And he was comfortable. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and he was comfortable in his own area, so. So, um, of course, after they discovered Kayla, they arrested Todd Kohlhepp shortly after that because it was his property. So they had plenty of grounds to arrest him. Right. I mean, if you find a human being chained on your property. You're going to jail. You're going to jail. So uh, they started their investigation. They started looking into this information that Kayla had told them in the container about other bodies being on the property and that uh, Todd had murdered other people. Wow. And they actually did discover some more bodies. They discovered uh, two more bodies, and they identified them through their extensive tattoo work, which is... I guess that tells you, one, that they weren't decomposed so much right. that they couldn't see skin. Yeah, it wasn't that um, So, But they identified them through their tattoos, and they identified them as the husband and wife duo uh, Johnny Joe Coxie and Megan Lee McCraw Coxie, and they were 29 and 26, respectively. And um, they were also hired by Cole Hep to work on his property. So I guess that's his MO. He hires people to work on his property and then has other plans for them. Yeah. The interesting thing about that to me is that he, um, both, both of these women were contracted to work with Todd and they both brought their spouses. So you'd think if I'm thinking of going to clean somebody's house and I'm at all trying to be cautious, I'm going to bring my husband with me because who in their right mind is going to start shooting both of us? That answer is uh, no one because Todd, Todd is not in his right mind. I don't think, um, so that's that's what became of both of them. Um, but uh, Megan, I'm sorry, um, Kayla in her Dr. Phil interview actually said that on the day that she went to Todd's property, she um, didn't think she'd be able to bring Charlie with her and, and she was going to bring a different friend. And he specifically told her, no, just come a different day and make sure you bring Charlie. So it was as if he always wanted to kill Charlie there for whatever reason. That was that was who he was after. Well, maybe he was really after Kayla, but just wanted to get Charlie out of the way. True. You just never can tell. So shortly after Todd's arrest and Kayla Brown's rescue, he confessed to the Superbike Motorsports murders. And if that isn't familiar to you, that's because we haven't spoken about it, nor was that on anyone's radar for Toddy Boy. So um, he was also being arrested for the murders of the Coxie couple, whose bodies were found on his property. Um, During this arrest, he had three requests for the police. Can you imagine? You're yeah. getting arrested for murdering seven people yeah. and you're like, oh, by the way, I'm, I have a few requests. Got a couple <laughs> questions. The only thing I'll give Todd is when he gets arrested, he pretty much confesses right away. So instead of this long drawn out, whatever thing, he at least saves a few taxpayer dollars by admitting his guilt pretty quickly. That's all I'm going to give him. Um, so his requests for the police were one to allow him to talk to his mother. She's a real treat. Um, two, to allow him to give a mother, give his mother a picture, which I don't know if we ever know, knew what that picture was. And then the third one was to allow him to transfer money to a friend's child's college fund. Yeah. I would not even accept that. No. If I was the friend, I would say, please don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also he later has a public defender. And so <laughs> that money has gone to this random child, which it's not the kid's fault, but He's like money laundering at this point, but well, I mean, of course he did that on purpose, sure. and he could say, "I'm moving my money to yeah someone else, yeah. so that you can't take it when I get arrested." Which, whatever he's at this point, he's confessed. If he wants to give somebody money, I just think the audacity yeah. to even request that. Can like, you imagine saying you had a college degree that Toddy <laughs> over here paid for? That would just be—I would not hire you. So I want to kind of talk a little bit more about these superbike murders that we just had 
dropped on us here by Melissa. Um, a little bomb. Yeah, a little bombshell. So there was four people murdered in the Superbike, I think it was Superbike Motorsports. Right. Um, <clears throat> and basically what happened here is that Todd got upset that a few people who worked at this bike shop had uh, embarrassed him. I guess he went there to buy a motorcycle and then tried to return it later because he really didn't know how to ride a motorcycle. And according to him, he was chastised by the employees and he got upset. So therefore that means he should kill them. So he actually shot all four of these people in the head. And uh, that was a fact that was not released to the media at the time of these murders. So this was an unsolved case for many years. And then after Cole Hepp was arrested for the Kayla Brown scenario, uh, he confessed to these murders and the detectives were very happy because the Superbike murders were a cold case at this point. They had no suspect. Well, they did actually have suspects. They had several suspects, (laughs) but it never really went anywhere. It didn't really go anywhere. So for him to confess to those crimes, that was like a really home run slam dunk for the detectives. They were very happy to have finally gotten closure on that case as well. Um, But he did share like the detail of the headshot, you know, basically with the media or with the detectives. And they said that was not something that was shared with the media. So they knew for sure that they had the right guy. But there were issues with the investigation of this case big time. They um, started with uh, the wife of the main guy, Scotty, that worked at the um, store. He, uh, they, they tried to say that she had constructed this whole murder. She was a few months pregnant. So when the baby was born, they steal one of the baby's diapers, try to say that this was because she cheated on him, he was sterile, and there's another man in the picture, and this baby belongs to that man. So they do this diaper um, diaper test without her consent. And I would come, be so mad. Yeah, and come back and say, oh hey, your husband, that wasn't the father. You've got something to do with this. And she said, right here, right now, you swab my baby, and I'm going to watch you put it the the swab into an envelope, send it off. I'm not playing around with this. So they do. Then they call her and say, hey, not your baby, not your husband's baby. And she was just flabbergasted because she knew it was. Well, little did they know, they had actually confused some of um, Scotty's DNA with somebody else at the shops. And so they were running it against his DNA. And so they found out, of course, that Scotty was the baby's father and she kind of was off the radar at that point. Can you even imagine that though? Like having them do DNA on your child and them saying like, oh, this is not your husband, you know, this is not your husband's baby. Yeah. And you know it is. Like She was ready to exhume the body. That's how. She did. She yeah. said, right now I will exhume the body. I will sign off on it. If yeah. we can't figure this out, they didn't have to do that. They never did. So. Um, another thing that happened uh, with this case that I feel like the police may have dropped the ball on is um, Todd was actually one of the customers of the shop, and there was a customer list that showed he was there on the day of the killings, and they apparently tried to call him twice. He didn't call back. They looked at his background and thought that there was nothing in there that had a red flag and let it go. So apparently a kidnapping charge... You can just look right past with a weapon. I mean, they've been shot, so it's not crazy to think, you know, that's just not a very far leap. So unfortunately, had they done a little more, you know, who knows if all this other tragedy would have happened, if they could have avoided it. So one crazy part of this case that I really want to delve into, because I feel like it's kind of a big deal, is Todd Kolhep's mother, whose name is Regina, and I mentioned earlier her last name is Tag. Um, she did a 48 Hours interview. I think she did actually a couple of other interviews, um, but she basically was in what I would consider extreme denial over the fact that her son was a psychopath and a serial killer. Uh, she was on record saying that her son was misunderstood and that he was misunderstood. not... Misunderstood. Misunderstood. Can you... We just don't Ugh. understand Toddy Boy. Um, he's not a monster, she said. Uh, yeah, she did describe him as a loner, but she said that he was also very ambitious and kind and 
all those other not really... to animals or humans, but right. Sure. And I don't know how she can say that after knowing what he did. Yeah. In his first fifteen years, that yeah. were kind of questionable. Um. So, like I said, stark, you know, denial. Uh, she painted a picture of her son that was pretty contrasting to the crimes that he was accused of. She said he was ambitious, worked hard, you know, at his real estate business. He sold at least one house a day. And okay, that number is not right. I can <laughs> tell house you. A day. I can tell you right now that is not a correct number for a realtor. And if it is, he was like a Donald Trump style. <laughs> Melissa's husband here actually has a little side gig uh, doing real estate. So she would know. (laughs) So help me if my husband sold sold one house a day, I sure wouldn't be doing this gig. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We would though. It's for fun. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, So uh, the mother, Regina, contended that her son was not a serial killer. What? Okay. He killed seven people and literally said that he just did it because they upset him in some way, one way or another. How can you go on the record and say, my son is not a serial killer? Well, she did mention that at all of these times that basically they had it coming. That's how I took it from her. They talked about Charlie Carver and she said, well, he was sassing him. He was just sassing him. He had a smart mouth. He didn't like it. Naturally, you take your gun and shoot somebody when they do that. Naturally. And justify it. And then the people in the motocross shop, they embarrassed embarrassed him. him. Mm -hmm. And so he came back to the motocross shop, made sure there were no customers there and killed everyone there. Right. Yeah. So, um, no, I feel like that's the definition of serial killer and murder and monster. But as you heard in the clip before, now hopefully that all makes sense. She just thought that he was misunderstood and a good boy. She kept saying he was a good boy, which is kind isn't of that, creepy to say about an adult male. But isn't that male. always what we hear from the mother of people who are convicted of, like, bad crimes? Yeah. He was a good boy. Well, you hear that he from didn't. neighbors and stuff. I right. love that. Like, like, they never know. Normal. Um, his mother was quoted as saying that Todd was not killing anyone for enjoyment, oh, that he gosh. just was doing it because he was mad and hurt. Oh, well. Just, yeah. just that. <laughs> so, oh uh, the amount of crimes I would have committed if I did something every time I was mad or hurt, I would, oh my goodness, I would give Todd a run, run for his money. This is just, it was unbelievable to watch her say this. And, and it broke my heart a little as a mom. Well, it does, but it really is like that level of denial really is not. You kind of want to just it's shake not her. Right. And in our first couple of episodes, we kind of covered Casey Anthony and we did touch on the mother yeah. being, you know, sympathetic right. to the, her child and yeah. wanting things to turn out well, yeah. you know, in her favor. But this is a whole different level. This is not the same as and that. And this is at him all. confessing to this stuff. Casey never confessed. This is her, him saying, mom, I did all these things and her still saying, well, he, he didn't mean to do it. He didn't want to do it. And And he he, actually said, you know, oh, he didn't kill Kayla because she didn't do anything to upset him. And he didn't really want to hurt her. He just didn't know what to do. Yeah. What do you mean he didn't know what to do? He he knew enough to say, I have this storage container with chains. I'm going to do all this. So yeah, there's, oh, and then she said, sorry guys, we're very heated over this. This is just too much. But then she said um, that he gave her water and he gave her pillows and blankets, made sure she was comfortable. And it was an August heat in South Carolina, which is hot, blisteringly (laughs) hot and in a storage container. I mean, I can't even imagine. So it's not like he put her up at the Ritz. He, you know, was taking advantage of her, raping her in this storage container that she never thought she would get out of. But, oh, she had bottled water. She had a bottle of water. So congratulations. On May 26th, 2017, Todd Cole had pleaded guilty to seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, and one count of criminal sexual assault and was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole in a plea bargain that spared Cole from capital punishment. Um, so seven consecutive life sentences, do you think that is a fair amount of time? I hope he can serve them all. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hope he wakes up and he serves longer Exactly, and longer and longer exactly. And dies and comes back and just finds Keeps himself serving in jail. Keeps serving time yeah. in jail, yes. Actually do it. Yes. <laughs> and now for a special segment we call Amazon Reviews with Toddy Boy. So these are reviews, actual Amazon reviews they found that he made 
you know, during the discovery and looking through all of his stuff after he's been arrested. So I'm going to take the first one. Um, this is for a master padlock, high security lock. He gave it five stars. Solid locks. I have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down till they are too old to care. Oh. Chilling. Chilling, especially when you know the facts of this case and what he actually did. However, Melissa and I talked about this a little bit earlier today privately. Um, how many times have you seen like troll internet yeah, reviews like or like reviews. something stupid that someone says and you never take it seriously? But Toddy Boy uh, actually had a habit of reviewing things that he probably used as, you know, what would be considered evidence. Yeah. Um, so here's another one that I'm going to read. It is on a folding shovel and also five stars. Keep in the car when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full size shovel at home. Does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. So that's just offensive anyway. That's, yeah, yeah, I just don't even understand. I guess because it's a small um, one. So next I'll read the review of a chainsaw. He also gave it five stars and says, it works excellent. Getting the neighbors to stand still while you chase him with it is hard enough without having an easy-to-use chainsaw. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I, these would just be weird enough to read, but you'd pass over them pretty quickly and think somebody was being witty but morbid, and now it just feels very, very morbid. So Mandy's going to read the last one. Okay, so the next one is for a stun gun. He gave it five stars again and said, seriously trying to find a reason to zap one of my agents for being lazy. It's going to be the new office motivational tool. So, uh, like we've said, this is kind of like typical funny Amazon reviews, trolling kind of thing that you would typically see. But in this case, it's not. This is actually... A serial killer who is commenting, kind of like hiding in plain sight, yeah. out in the open, just saying these outrageous things like no big deal. We live in such a strange time, though, because you have the social media, you have Amazon reviews, you have all these things where, you know, years ago, it's just information, it's members of the family, all that stuff. And now we have this whole big picture view of these kind of people now. So one final thing I did want to discuss before we wrap this up, um, <clears throat> something that really stood out to me was the fact that Todd Kolhep showed so many signs of psychopathy early on. Um, there, Like I said in the beginning, there was evidence of him being a little... I guess, deranged from a very early part in his childhood. Just a little. Just a little. Uh, and I kind of started going down the rabbit hole on this. I wanted to know what is the possibility that someone is just born this way? Because, of course, it freaks me out. I have two kids of my own. Like, what are the chances that they're born with this? Or are they somehow molded into this right. eventually? Is it nature versus nurture? Right. Well, I did find out that um, psychopaths are born and made. So <laughs> that gives us all sure. zero hope. We have <laughs> We're all going to die. Um they do link childhood trauma with psychopathy. Uh, many seeds for mental illness are planted long before birth. So most likely it is a genetic thing. They yeah. do have – there's some disorders they know are genetic, but then other ones they have still questions about. Um, but the violent adult psychopaths, the ones who kill without remorse, are both born and made. A person might have had a genetic predisposition for these behaviors, but childhood traumas and a lack of connection with other people tend to bring them out. Yeah. So I kind of think that falls in line a little bit with the Todd Kolhep life story, yeah. you know, with his parents getting divorced when he was very young and his mother remarrying and him not having a stable relationship with his father and maybe some of the disconnections were there before that and then yeah. those events just magnified set them. Set them in motion, really. Set them in motion. Um, but over the past few years, psychologists have been working to develop interventions for children with early signs of psychopathy. So 
yay for 2017. Not so much for whatever year Todd Kohlhepp was born because they didn't have that. Well, and if you see any signs, not that we think any of our listeners have kids who will grow up to I be... I hope not. Toddy boys, but um, it's always important to talk to your doctor. If there's, you know, if there is therapy, if there is anything with anything with your kids, it's always a, it's a good route to take to at least have an alternative. Right. And if your child did Give show of any of these signs of psychopathy early on, uh, you know, the treatments to just focus on connecting kids with their peers and parents and, you know, those bonds can make a huge difference in their life. And it can really be the difference between an adult who is a violent offender or just a person who might be a little sarcastic and cold. A la us. Right. That's us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's pretty much all I have on Todd Kohlheb. <laughs> and I think we had quite a bit on Todd Kohlheb. Um, we wanted to remind you guys of our hashtag, I'm Invincible When. We actually got a really good reader uh, comment on Instagram, and her I'm Invincible When was, when I was in kindergarten, going to the washroom by myself scared me. So I thought for sure if I was a good singer than the bat or better singer than the bad guys, they would spare me. I sang my heart out, which I find oh, so Oh, I love great. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cute. And that speaks to a little kindergartner's, you know, mind. And listen, if I could sing worth a crap, I wouldn't <laughs> think I could be in a, a singing competition against a bad guy as well. So I, I love that. I think that's just adorable. And those are the great. kind of things we're looking for, guys. Those little weird things you had in your brain that you just think, if I could just do this one thing, I've had, I can't even get into all mine. I'll share them for another episode. But um, so we want to thank our friend Melissa on Instagram. And it's not me. I'm not pretending to be this <laughs> Melissa. This Melissa is, the other Melissa is really awesome. I'm, a little, a little. She much. just shares the name. I'm a little. She just shares the best <laughs> name ever. So, um, so we want to thank you guys for joining us for our latest episode. Please find us on our website. Connect with us. We love talking to you. We love yes, your. I'm we want you guys win. to be a part of the show. So please connect with us. Yeah, and so we'll have a new episode next week. Look out for it. Remember to rate, subscribe, do all those things. Tell your friends, unless you're friends with Todd, leave him out of it. Um, and we will see you next week. See you later. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms of Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.